I'm sick and tired of patch jobs. I'm sick and tired of duct tape and, and gorilla tape masking holes and filling holes and relying on Carey Price to make 10 bells save after 10 bells save after 10 bells save to cover up for the defense mistakes. I'm sick of it. If we want to make the playoffs in Montreal, if we want to compete for a Stanley Cup, which I think that's the goal, don't settle for crap. Don't settle for mediocrity. Don't settle for Brett Kulak as your top four defenseman. Go out there and trade for one. Go out there and sign one if you have to. Improve the roster. Systematical failure on the part of the general manager and his hockey operations staff to address this scoring problem. Enough. Enough's enough. I'm sick and tired of it. Coming to you from the greater Montreal area, this is the Not Happening Podcast, where we talk any and all things related to the Montreal Canadiens. I'm your host, Joshua DeLorme. On this week's Not Having a Podcast, I bring to you a conversation I had with hockey vlogger Scrimmage and Stats, who I'm sure many of you follow on Twitter. If you don't, I strongly suggest that you do, because he puts out lots and lots of great content related to rookies and players eligible for this upcoming draft. In this conversation, we talked about what goes into creating a mock draft. He also outlines a few players that the Canadians would be happy to get with the 15th overall selection in June's draft. And we also talk a little bit about prospects already in the Canadian system. I will make sure to put the link to his mock draft that he made in the description for this episode. I really enjoyed looking at his mock draft because there's a lot of great stuff out there for you and and puts a great um, recap and description of each player um, in in, in his mock draft. So you really can have an understanding of what this player is and, and whatnot, even if you've never heard of him before. So that's pretty cool. So before I play the interview, I'd like to remind you all that you are always invited to reach out to me on Twitter with comments, questions, or suggestions for future shows. You can find me on Twitter at JoshuaDelorme95. Also, don't forget to check out awinninghabit.com for all the latest from our wonderful contributors. All right, enough with the pleasantries. Here is my conversation with Scrimmage and Stats. How are you? Not bad yourself? Good, thanks. Thanks again for doing this. Oh, not a problem. I guess one of my first things I wanted to talk to you about was uh, a mock draft, right? Because you see a lot of people do their mock draft on Twitter and they put it out there and then everybody's like, oh, okay, yeah, what do you know about making a mock draft or anything like that? So I figured I'd be pretty cool to to talk to you about the whole experience of making a mock draft and like what goes into it, how much time, like do you actually sit there and watch tape or, or video of like every prospect or do you read off of like what the experts are saying and then like do you look at like what team needs are or like do you just go best player available according to you? Um, so the, it's, it's a complicated uh, process for all. Uh, I guess it depends on how much time you're willing to spend. A lot of people will kind of wait till this time of the year to develop a mock draft to kind of feed on what they're being given in terms of content from people that do take the time to, to watch the, 
to watch the players religiously say for for a living so there's nothing wrong with that and it, it adds to the fun of getting to know the player and it, it is really cool um for more serious mock drafts uh you know there's other people that that do this too that i find are, are really good but in my case uh there were fortunately a lot of prospects that i would watch that would play the players that i initially was looking to see uh, in past draft years, so you you kind of get to know who X or Y player is based on their draft status locally, uh, and then when their year does come, you already have uh, a recollection and in some cases tape that you can go refer to if you're ever looking to make a kind of pro- progression analysis. So how have they gone from year one to year two? You know, so for fans uh, that like a guy like Jesperi Kotkaniemi, well, if you were to look at uh, the way that Trevor Timmons was scouting in Pori the year before when he was looking at Ikonen, uh, who was playing for Kalpa. Well, he he got a sense of what was going on, especially with uh, Christopher Rockstrom in, in Europe, of what was going on with Kotkaniemi. So it's it's kind of the same process where you see how far they've come, and now you're able to project, based on how they are now with their peers, how far they can go. Uh, that takes time, it takes thinking, it takes process. But what I, what, what's really fun is then, once you've done it, with a lot of these players, you've developed like maybe a good base of 50 players at the top of your list that you can kind of play with. You're able to come up with a a, a complete cohesive kind of mock draft. Uh, however detailed you want it to be is however much time you have to learn about the player. But the gists of the players, where they'd be, and a, something you're probably a little bit more familiar with would be like the needs of an organization you're able to kind of piece a puzzle together so it's it's quite a fun experience i invite uh even individuals that don't necessarily know about a prospect this is a good opportunity to 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 just even learn about them uh even at a at a most basic level just like an afternoon read or something yeah, well, that's, that does sound like a lot of work, and, and that's probably why I've never actually gone ahead and done it. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm not the biggest follower of, of, you know, rookies and prospects and, and stuff like that. Like, I'll know the big, like, the big names at the top of the board, but, like, I'll never sit there and actually, like, like watch them unless there's, like, a, C- a CHL game on or something that has, like, exactly, nothing, yeah. and there's nothing else to watch. So, which is mainly why I've, like, I could probably get, like, I could probably do a mock draft of, like, the top five. But yeah. like after that, forget it. I've got nothing for you. Um, and and so when I I saw your uh, your mock draft that you put out uh, on Twitter there at the beginning of the week, and 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 it was I thought it was great because it wasn't just like oh here is here are the players that I would go and like rank them one through thirty. You really like gave a brief description about the player and stuff like that so that was really neat too like a a a different like usually i'll see mock drafts on twitter and it's just like here's the list like right one through 15 and there's no Mm -hmm. detail so like a person looking at a mock draft that's never heard of this player before doesn't know who anything of is but when they look at your mock draft if like i go like if i just scroll through here quickly if i look at uh let me see here. Uh, at 14, Arizona, who you had Arthur Kaliev. Like, I've never heard of this guy before, right? So, like, I can read a brief little description of, like, what what's written about it. So, that's, that's I just wanted to point that out. That was a really neat thing that you did there. Thanks, man. Um, I mean, it's to sh- kind of shed light. I, the one thing I think that we do well in the hockey world is sequencing and using videos to kind of bring in or introduce you to a player. So uh, I think uh, the athletic is doing a lot of this, and it's really fun. And I'm really glad you enjoyed it. This that was kind of the intent. So awesome. Yeah, cool. All right. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was um, the Canadians draft pick. You know, we're picking yeah, 15th. Pick. Uh, yeah, very important. Um, 
and and contrary, you know, there were there were some fans out there that were holding out to the slimmer of hope that they might win the draft lottery and move up, but uh, uh-huh. not was the case. So uh, they stand pat at fifteen, and so I wanted to ask you one to talk about who you have going at fifteen, and and if you could also give me like a like list of like three players that you could potentially see available in that area and that you were like yeah this is a player that if he's available the canadians really need to go after this guy mm-hmm. well i think it's um it's most definitely the player that that i selected at 15 for montreal i feel like uh vasily Poldkolzin, whom anybody listening to this is probably going to be like well what the hell i <laughs> i just saw him at like fourth overall like two months ago right yeah that's that's absolutely right you did um and obviously uh generally canadians uh in general not just fans of the Habs, but in general have access to tsn have access to chris button and he's been pumping uh put colson's tires all year uh, i really like the kid uh, i think he's a he's exactly what montreal lacks in terms of top uh, big bruising scoring winger um, just really uh, you know nose for the net good puck skills uh, determined just essentially Gallagher with the size uh, is, is what I like to call him I really just like his intensity um, but the reason why he'd fall is the same reason why we don't see Alex Alexander Romanov in a Montreal Canadiens jersey right now and that's because he's got a two-year KHL contract beyond this point and anybody generally picking in the top 10, maybe 12. They're going to want their player sooner rather yeah, than later. They're going to want it within the next 18 months to 24 months. They don't want a chance 24 months and then possibly another contract if Paul Colson, you know, strikes strikes it big. You, you never really know. Right. Um, so they wouldn't really want a chance that. And a lot of the teams picking in the top 10, uh, save for like maybe what Anaheim and and I would argue Buffalo because of the just the amount of prospects that they have in their system, I'd say that everybody in the top 10 desperately needs that player to be impactful within the next two years. Um, and even once you start going from Philadelphia to Minnesota to, to, to Florida, these are all teams with dire pressing needs that I think that the player that they want is going to have to be NHL ready-ish. You're going to start seeing more of the risks between pick four, uh, 15, 16, and in my opinion, 17, because you have the Canadians who will most likely have someone drop to them at 15 it's it almost seems inevitable at this point 16 belongs to colorado who was already picking a fourth overall and then you have vegas is also a wild card at the draft so for me i think that knowing that the canadians won't chance trading down at this pick if uh, if pod colson is there i think they'd go for him however if if we are looking for um who could possibly be available at that point um my honest opinion is you'd have access to a guy like uh, Arthur Kaliev, who is a primetime scorer. He scored 50 goals uh, in his draft year uh, in the juniors. By far the best scoring Canadian hockey playing eligible player. So CHL, w, uh, Western Hockey League, Ontario Hockey League, Quebec Major Junior Hockey League combined. Uh, I really like what he can do in terms of scoring. Uh, there could be underlying attitude issues and compete issues uh but i always kind of hold that in contempt because i remember other 17 year old players that had attitude issues that wound up becoming great players uh most notably uh, ryan getzloff had that tag stuck on him and fell out of the top 10 completely and into the 20s in 2003 he had a great career and so now he's considered one of the top leaders in the nhl right so. exactly so like 
I hold what, you know, coaches and GMs say about a kid into a little bit of context. Like there's always the Josh Hosang situation in, in, yeah. New, uh, in New York, but not really in this case. Um, another forward other than Paul Kozin uh, and Arthur Kaliev would be Philip Tomasino. Um, and not many people know about Tomasino because he was playing on a stacked team uh, for the Niagara Ice, Ice Dogs. Sorry. And really, what I really uh, what it, I enjoy about him is his game is pure speed. He's a speedster. He can go on a breakaway on the snap of a finger. He's got decent size. He's already six foot, about 180 pounds now at this point. Um, so he's 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 very much a good all around player. He had 36 goals and 36 assists uh, for 72 points in 67 games. So uh, an offensive player even playing third-line minutes, which is, in my opinion, insane and comparable to a guy like Arizona's fifth overall pick last year, Barrett Hayton. Um, so the progression was notable in Philip, uh, Philip Tomasino, and there's a lot of talk that he could potentially be traded to Oshawa to play with other uh, Montreal Canadiens prospect, um, Alan McShane, who would be their number one center, uh, shifting either Tomasino to replace him at center or be on his right wing. So it looks very interesting and he'd feel a dual role for the Canadians of either being that top six scoring playmaking winger uh, on the right side, which they lack in my opinion, or he can be yet another option at center should they ever need it down the road. Um, All right. And then I guess the last one I guess would be Cam York that I would look at. Um, Cam York fills a need for the Habs, that, that desperate left defenseman. Um, plays a game similar to the other, the other Cam that we know in the NHL is Cam Fowler, um, and was the number one defenseman for that stacked uh, U.S. national team, which has like Jack Hughes, Alex Turcotte, uh, Cole Caulfield, and all those guys. So I think the Habs have a really, really good shot at getting a good player. Fifteenth um, overall, we've seen great players in past years. So um, honestly, I feel like if Trevor Timmons, you know, gets the the ability to make that pick without any interference, I think it's going to be a, a home run. Now I've seen a lot of people out on Twitter, and and I've been guilty of this myself too a little bit. Is there they they look at a guy like the the, the possibility of maybe being able to draft uh, Philip Broberg, and and you have him going uh, to Florida if I'm not mistaken. Yep, um, and I can already tell you that in my revised version, he'll most likely be either hitting the top 10 or in the top 10. So he's moving back I, up in your mind, right? He's moved from the conversations I've had about people in the scouting world and where GMs are going in terms of how they value Broberg since the U18s. He's definitely, he's trending up in my opinion. Yeah, because he had a, from, from what I've understood, he had a, he had a pretty good, pretty good year last year. He, he shined a little bit through the summer last year. And then yeah. there were a lot of expectations to form starting the year. And he was really considered, you know, one to be, if not the top defensive prospect to be in like in the top three for sure. Absolutely, um, yeah. and, and we saw that kind of taper off, um, throughout the season. I don't know if it was lack of production or whatnot. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I saw, I've seen a lot of mock drafts where he comes out around 15, 16, 17. But if you're, I, I always kind of question that. I always thought to myself, boy, if someone, t- if they take him at 15, that seems like a sneaky, like a steal to me. Cause like everything I've seen or read about the kid is he, mm. like he screams top four defenseman, uh, reliable kind of guy. Yeah. And, and, but yeah, so if you're telling me he's probably going to move back up, that doesn't surprise me at all. 
Well, the reason being is that we we've seen this in drafts, and and in my personal opinion, I think this is what's going to happen. There are two defensemen in this draft that could possibly come out of nowhere and jump into the top ten. One of them is uh, Broberg. The other one is the uh, rush, uh, the sorry German defenseman we see playing in the World Championships right now at eighteen years old, Moritz Seider. Either one of those can push a GM in that direction where he can climb into the top. 10, 12. Uh, and I think Broberg has the most realistic shot because he's been around that point all year. But the U18s, I think, kind of solidified that his Ivan Halinka last summer was not uh, a fluky performance and that he actually uh, has all the tools and simply needs the right coaching uh, and the right system to be able to utilize his strengths. So I wouldn't I wouldn't sleep on Philip Broberg. I know there's there's a lot of like recency hate on him because of that, but if anybody's watched his games, even even in the the Alsvenskan in um, in uh, Sweden, he's been rather good. It's just he's been coached and and told that yes, we know you're very good offensively internationally, but here because we want to help you develop, you got to focus on your defensive game, uh, and that's what a lot of people aren't taking into consideration when they look at a guy like Broberg, um, because they're expecting uh, you know a Boquist or an Eric Brandstrom. Uh, when they they shine, they kind of don't have that top pair of potential that those two guys had, uh, which is nothing on Broberg, but it's power to those two other prospects. So, apples and oranges. A friendly reminder here that this podcast is associated with fan-sided awinninghabit.com. Awinninghabit.com is where you can find all of your Habs-related content by people that are just like you, fans of the team. So don't forget to go out and check out awinninghabit.com for all of our latest posts, editorials, and analysis of the Montreal Canadiens. All right, back to the podcast. Yeah, all right. So if I shift my attention a little bit towards um, prospects already in the system in Montreal, I think everyone can agree that the two top prospects, I mean, if not the two, like definitely in the conversation for the two top prospects would be Ryan Paling and, and Nick Suzuki, if I'm... I mean, to me anyway, they're one and two or definitely in the top three. Yeah, I was um, going to say, worst case scenario, I'd say three if you're really high on Alexander Romanov. But Yeah, yeah, I've seen people that are really high on Romanov. I've seen people really high on... on um, on Brooke. Uh, Brooke, yeah, thanks, and uh, and so like I guess it's a matter of opinion, but definitely the mm-hmm. two top prospects at the forward position, I'll put them that way. Oh, and by a, by a country mile, I think the yeah. only one that comes close is Yelonen at this point. Yeah, yeah, and if there's one thing, I mean, I I like the roster that they have now. I mean, I still think there's there's some holes on that team, but I think if there's there's a hole, there's there's going to be a need down the road in a cup in like the next year or two. Uh, to really fill out the top six, and I think th- these two players are in prime positions to take those to take that challenge on. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what your expectations are for um, um, Ryan Paling and Nick Suzuki heading into their first pro years next year. Um, it's yeah, it's uh, they're not. I don't think they're in the same spot uh, pos- personally speaking. Um, Ryan Paling was a little bit of a. <laughs> How do you even back up that hat trick performance in his first game? I I don't know how he can possibly live up to that hype now. Uh, with most yeah, I don't fans. think he, that's yeah, that's not gonna happen. It, it's just I. This is why I like to temper my expectations, but at the <laughs> same time, I want to temper fans' expectations because yeah, yes, he is a very very good prospect. There's there's a reason why Montreal couldn't believe that he fell to twenty fifth, 
Um, actually, Bergevin was going to trade that pick until uh, Timmons pleaded him not to because, hey, look, here's finally a center that we can get that could possibly play top six. Um, I really think that Ryan Paling needs to work on his offense, personally. Yeah. Um, I don't see him being... I don't see the need in putting him on the fourth line, Oh, personally. dear God, no, no. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I think that's why they re-signed Nate Thompson, uh, yeah. is to potentially play fourth line. And that's why they re-signed uh, Jordan Wheel, is to fill in on that fourth line, should they ever have issues, because he's shown that he can do both quite easily. Um, so, in my opinion, you signing those two guys, and you already have Jake Evans in the minors... Um, I think the battle for fourth line in Montreal is pretty much set in my mind. Unless, of course, Paling comes in and outproduces what we saw from Kotkaniemi last year, essentially forcing um, Claude Julien to move Domi to the wing. I don't see that happening. I don't, yeah. I To me, the only way that that Paling's on this roster next year is if he's able to, to steal one of those top three Stennerman roles. Um, mm-hmm. Because if not, I want, I've want i said it before and I'll say it again, he needs to play in Laval and I want him to play like top minutes, penalty kill, power play, top the five on five. He need, like, yeah. put keep throwing him over the bench and just, and he needs to play and he needs to develop because I think mm-hmm. I've always, I've, I've watched him play a lot and to me, like you say, he needs to develop that offensive style a bit. And, and fans out there that are going to come at me on Twitter because of the hat-trick performance, let's not get our hopes up on one game here. But um, I think I think if, to me, he's always screamed very good third-line center that can play to- in the top six, but like don't expect him to be like a 70-point player kind of thing. No, that's it. I... Top end potential for him is a second-line center. I'm not... I'm, I've been yeah. not afraid to say it for a really long time. I think that the issues behind his scoring or the questioning behind the lack of production vis-a-vis other NCAA players is because the team that he played for, St. Cloud, plays in the NCHC, which is the most uh, defensive league uh, in all of the NCAA. Sorry, division in all of the NCAA. So it kind of plays that way, but it also has to play with he was always taught to pass the puck first. He was the setup guy over there in St. Cloud. Not very uh, pressured or encouraged to shoot much. And that's why that hat-trick performance was so surprising to me because that's the most I've ever seen him shoot in a game ever. So, <laughs> And everything I, he shot kept see, going in. Yeah, that, that's, that's the thing. That's what I found interesting is that the shot quality is there. Uh, once the strength is up to NHL par, which is just scary that it's not yet, um, he'll be a very, very good centerman. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't throw out the possibility of, of, of a bonafide second line center. I really, really wouldn't. I think that scouts kind of looked at the fact that, oh, well, here's a coach that wants him to use a shot more. Look at how more effective and dangerous he is. It's going to open up the play for his teammates and so on and so forth. So I say, take your time with something that could potentially be a diamond in the rough. Keep him in Laval, uh, and don't, don't push the envelope unless he pushes the envelope. That's kind right. of my, that's yeah, exactly. My. Let him force your hand, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other guy, Nick Suzuki. I mean, I have I've seen some players. I mean, I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give him props here. I was not always totally sold on Nick Suzuki as a as a top six forward. Um, I still think if if he's gonna be a top six productive forward, he's gonna end up playing more on the wing than he is at center. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will give him credit where credit is due because what he's been able to do these playoffs. Has has really been has really been special and a special thing to watch. Yeah, no, it's uh, 
I, I sometimes used to when I, when I used to catch the feeds if I were home if I was home, I, I would just laugh at the TV at times because he'd pull these like there's there's a there's a highlight loop of just his stick just his stick handling sorry on penalty kills because he's just so good at at pulling in defensemen making them go left when they should have gone right uh and then just burying the puck along the boards and you know using his intelligence to keep the play there i think he's mature enough to play in the nhl personally not that paling isn't uh from a defensive standpoint the reason why I think Suzuki is NHL ready over a guy like Paling is because I think Suzuki thinks the game fast enough now to be able to adapt quickly in the NHL in the similar way that we saw Kotkaniemi adapt uh, from, an, uh, from a hockey IQ perspective and from an execution perspective rather nicely uh, by game 2030. And I feel like Suzuki can do the same thing, but... The added benefit is if he can do it playing right wing, well, then he won't even have the defensive responsibilities of right. a Kotkaniemi, and he could focus on the offense. And then there's your right shot on the second wave of the power play if you're determined to play Jordan Wheel or Armia on the first wave. So he having uh, Suzuki play right wing, be it second or third line, wherever they want to put Shaw and uh, Armia and or Wheel, um, is fine by me. But Suzuki would then, in my opinion deserve or necessitate power play minutes and that's where he's going to be his most dangerous is his is his release his one-timer his vision his deceptiveness and i think that's what's nhl ready his power play game is nhl ready uh his defensive game is nhl ready what i don't know that's nhl ready is his speed and his ability to grind along the boards albeit not far away uh much closer than people thought and we saw it during these playoffs yeah. Well. All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna spare the listeners and yourself um, the the headache of me list of me going on about Jordan Wheel. I I really have a hard time with Jordan Wheel on the power play, but that's another conversation for another day. Um, I it just mind boggles me the amount of minutes that hit that 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 were thrown at that player down the stretch. But that's beside the point. We well, I feel like that. a guy like Suzuki will alleviate your frustrations. Well, my main frustration is, and I'll tell you this, and then we can move on before I lose my head again. Uh, because to anybody that listened to the podcast last week, was this 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 was not okay. Um, I. My biggest issue with Jordan Wheel on the power play and the minutes that he played were the minutes that were taken away from Kotkaniemi, and mm-hmm. and I I it become I become incredibly frustrated when I see a kid that's 18 years old stapled to the bench f- and plays eight minutes a game, and 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 I've had I conversations with people that have told me you know he you know he and he this is true he was he really struggled down the stretch you could see he was physically and mentally tired down the stretch and and i never had a problem with reducing his five on five minutes but for the love of everything that is good in the world put him out there on the power play because that's where he can succeed with limited time on ice and and he has the hands the creativity for that but jordan wheels out there so that's okay i guess whatever i'm gonna not go yeah, there because i'm gonna get, ex- I'm gonna get flustered i mean if you <laughs> if, if ever you want to seek solace uh, you can just ask the Blues fans who were freaking out about Robert Thomas at the beginning of the season getting scratched every second game. Yeah, so, well, there's a, there's also a reason Mike Yo was no longer a head coach in this league. Exactly. So the only thing I will say is um, there's no shame in Kotkaniemi, who's two years younger than than Robert was, uh, coming in and, and being able to, to eventually grow from this. I honestly think that he will be commanding the respect that you think he deserves as early as October. So 
No worries there. I, I yeah. don't think that Jordan Wheel will be taking power play time from Kotkaniemi <laughs> anymore. Well, so I can sleep peacefully that. tonight, that's for there sure. Thanks go. for that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to let you go soon. I just want to play a little uh, word association game with you. Um, sure. I've got uh, six players that I'll throw a name at you. Four of them are prospects, and two of them are already on the team. Just kind of throw out the first thought that pops into your mind, um, and, and then we'll kind of end it there. Sure, not a problem. Um, first one I have for you is Josh Brook. Oh, shot pass. Cool, cool. Um, Caden Primo. Oof, athletic. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, uh, I'm expect. I I think he can have a big year in Laval this year. Um, Ryan Paling. We talked about him again, but like mm-hmm. really, first thing. Vision. Ryan uh, Nick Suzuki. Oh, uh, magician. Cool. I like that. I always get Ryan and Nick mixed up. Like I always it's think o- I'm it's talking. Okay. Ryan <laughs> kind of plays a game that's more similar to, to Paling actually. That's why I find funny. Oh, is it really? Oh yeah. yeah. I've seen a lot of, I've seen, he's, he's slated to go in the top 20 this year, isn't he? Oh uh, yeah. I have him, I have him going to the senators, which would be an absolute nightmare, uh, at 19th. So nightmare for to- Montreal fans. Yeah, yeah, I, I I would say mostly for Senators fans, but that's pretty much the norm nowadays. Well, you're, you're I, I, think, I I think Nick is the much better prospect, but Ryan is going to be pretty good in his own right. I uh, I don't know if you had the chance to read my Twitter bio, but I'm a Sens fan in exile. Um, it's okay, dude. And the, and yeah, so times are coming. Oh man, it's depressing. Yeah, but uh, you got Brandstrom. Like, let's be happy. Yeah, but like people talk to, like people will tell me that yeah yeah he's great and all that, but like. Good players in Ottawa have been a thing. Like we've had good players in Ottawa, they just always leave and break, and it just breaks our heart. But I, I understand that I really do, <laughs> and I sympathize as a Canadians fan and a Leafs yeah. fan growing up simultaneously. Ooh, um, how does that work? Mother Leafs fan, father Habs fan, divorced, different areas, different hockey nights in Canada, experiences every single yeah. weekend. I yeah. believe me when I tell you, uh, I know what disappointment is. I cheer for both franchises, so it's all good. <laughs> um, at least the Sens have been to the Stanley Cup final since we've been, you know, conscious. Yeah, so yeah. You have that those bragging rights. I uh, have that, yeah. The last Canadian team to go to the final, yeah. So, yeah. well, um, that Vancouver, if I believe that. Oh, man, yeah, that's true. But it's yeah, all good. Right. Yeah. It's cool. <laughs> I always forget Vancouver's there. <laughs> But yeah. it's it's like I said, Ottawa has bragging rights, so you're you're good. Don't worry about all it. All right, all right, thanks. I appreciate that. All right, last two for you. Uh Max Domi. Max Domi is all about character. Yeah, yeah. That guy like lives and breathes uh Montreal Canadian. Like you can uh, tell yeah. how well, happy I, and how much he embodies being a Canadian. I remember when he got drafted, uh I believe in twenty thirteen. Uh could be wrong. I but he was drafted somewhere like thirteenth overall. And when Arizona called his name, the disappointment on his face instantly was, <laughs> yeah. it was just instant. You just saw like his father just patting him on the back, like, good job, kid. And he's just <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll be honest. I was not impressed with the trade last year. I was, I've, I'm, I'm a big Alex Galchenyuk fan. And mm-hmm. I thought, I really thought Arizona had ruined Max Domi. Like I thought, okay, we're going to get like a third line player role kind of guy. And man, would he, would like, he surprised, I think, a lot of people this year. Yeah, well, I mean, five on five, he was as dominant uh, last year as he was this year. He was one of the top players at five on five per, per 60 minutes. What uh, he lacked was a decent power play 
which he didn't find in Montreal. Yeah. <laughs> but fortunately for him, um, when he was on the power play, it did go in for him or uh, in terms of uh, in terms of production. His production on the power play was, I think, second or third best on the team. So he was still very productive per se. If he had an actually like top 10 power play, I'd argue he could have been a point-per-game player. So hmm. power to him, but it, it goes to show you that his hard work and his, his, his speed within the system is is absolutely beautiful to watch. Yeah, all right. Last on my list, uh, Jonathan Drouin. Oh. <laughs> yeah, um, me too. <laughs> I'm just, uh, what's the word I'm trying? Um, in French, I guess it's a better, assoiffé. I'm thirsty. I want to see more yeah. uh, fire. So I guess like hungry would be the yeah. word. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be, a, I think this is, he's going to need to put out a big year. This coming year, I think he really needs to change the uh, perception around him. Yeah, no, I mean, the perception's been there pretty much since he was in Halifax. That there was a talk of this, uh, but he was uber-talented in junior and he could do what he wanted. Uh, in Tampa, you kind of got a sense that it was there. And then he had a really, really good season where he got, similarly to this season, 53 points. Um and then obviously got traded to Montreal, and Montreal tried him at center. Yeah. Which, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what was a worse experiment, Frankenstein or Dwayne at center, but um, <laughs> yeah, once they finally put him at left wing, I find he did well, but again, I don't know why at the last 20 games of the season everything tapered off because he was going in, he was coming in strong for a 60 point season. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and a, Overall, very good season, but his last twenty games were atrocious. So he felt. I don't apart, know. Like, yeah, I don't know if it was his nose injury uh, or he couldn't breathe as as well anymore. If there was another injury involved, um, or if there's something uh, you know behind closed doors. But uh, I really feel like Jonathan Drouin is going to have something to prove again this year. Yeah. That not only is he able to match his career highs, but he's he's able to go beyond them. So we'll see what he can do, but. If it's more of the same, I honestly think Jonathan Drouin will be uh, liquidated, in my opinion, for defensive help down the I road. I think so as well. Yeah, I think that's what I mean. Like, if he has another year of this, I think we're going to see the team try to move on from him um, before the perception around the league is, no, this guy is, like, not as highly touted as he might be. Um but yeah, yeah. No, I think I think this is he's in he's in line for a very big year, and I hope he can. I, I hope he can do it. I mean, you know, the talent is there. You can see the talent is there. Yeah. Um, and you just gotta hope he can get his head on straight. Yeah, I think it's just a question of being able to use his abilities in a far more efficient way. I think he's got to stop skating into the offensive zone and trying to deke four players. I think that his his zone entries. Uh, and his ability to do so with ease should be utilized more from the coaching staff perspective. Yeah, but it also means that Jonathan Drouin has to play with crashers as well. So I don't mind. This is why I see a player like uh, Pod Colson that the Habs be drafting be a perfect complement on the other side of a wing with a Paling or a Kotkaniemi in the middle to a guy like Drouin because the hard work and the and the and the space creation will be done by the other two. And then I feel like that's when Dwayne can, like, on a big team like a San Jose or a St. Louis, Dwayne would be an excellent secondary piece. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's the other thing, too. And I I think fans are starting to realize that 
you can't expect him to be the driving force of a line, right? He's that complimentary player that's going to come in and he's going to, you know, put up some points if the other guys around him do all the hard work. He kind of reminds exactly. me of Phil Kessel a little bit that way. Yeah, it's a very, uh, it's a very good com- comparison right there. Yeah. All right. Well, I really appreciate the time. Thank you very much for doing this. And if you're up for it, maybe I'd like to do this again after the draft, have a little conversation about the draft picks and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. I love talking. Uh, I love looking back on the, the picks a few days later after you yeah. had the time to read up on them. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. Perfect. Thanks a lot, buddy. Thank you, man. You guys have a great day and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Scrimmage and Stats, Twitter handle being at the Hockey Expert. And I really hope you guys enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I would like to take this opportunity to thank him for taking the time to join me on the pod. And I'm very much looking forward to having him on again in the future. A new episode of the podcast comes to you next week, where I will have one other feature interview with someone from the Montreal community. So please make sure to be out on the lookout for that. Also, don't forget that you can now subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So make sure to do that so you never miss an episode of the show. If you feel like giving us a rating and a review, that would also be greatly appreciated. I hope you guys have a fantastic long weekend and enjoy the week to come. For the Not Having It Podcast, this is Joshua DeLorme signing off. I'll talk to you all again next Friday.